Stephanie and Gloria washed ashore on an uncharted desert island after a shipwreck. Once on shore, Stephanie, frantic and anxious, began gathering firewood to create a fire so that the smoke from the fire would hopefully be spotted by search and rescue planes above. Meanwhile, Gloria was acting like she was on vacation, sunning herself on the beach, drinking coconut juice, eating bananas, the life of Riley. Finally, Stephanie is so exasperated, she says, well, aren't you going to lift a finger? Aren't you going to help? We could die on this island. Calm down, Gloria said. Stephanie, do you know how much money I make? I make a million dollars a year. Stephanie is dumbfounded. You're talking about money, and we're out here. What, do you think your money is going to save us? Let me finish, Gloria says. I make a million dollars a year, and I'm a Christian. What, you think God's going to send angels miraculously deliver us? Stop interrupting. I make a million dollars a year. I'm a Christian, and I faithfully tithe to my church. Trust me, Stephanie, my church will find us. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's oh too true about too many churches in the world today, all about money. Here at Life Journey Church, we try hard not to be that kind of a church. But to do what God calls us to do, we do at least need some money. So the way we handle it here at Life Journey is once a year for three weeks, we do a low-key stewardship campaign, which we're in the midst of right now. To me, the most compelling evidence of what God is doing through our church is the impact this church has on individual lives. So today, before jumping into the sermon, I wanted to just take a couple minutes to introduce you to someone who's relatively new to our church in the last six months. This is Gina West, and Gina drives up here every Sunday and back all the way from Shelbyville. So Gina, my question for you is, why? And Jeff, when I woke up this morning and knew I had to come early for the first service, that was my question. <laughs> <laughs> and to anybody at this church, I've went to church my whole life. Not saying that means anything, but one thing that I learned was we all want new people to come and we all want new people to be part of our church. Just don't take my pew and don't take my parking spot. <laughs> so if I have anybody's parking spot today, I apologize. If I took your pew, I won't be there next Sunday. So if you forgive me, I'll forgive you. And the, and the reason that I know Jeff asked me this question, but I pondered when he first asked me to come, and I pondered and thought about how I would answer this. And I would like to say that my family, for many generations, was a very spiritual family. They were founders of a church. It really rung deep. So I was raised praying talking to God, trying to build my life. At nine years old, 
I was uh, made my first connection with God. Was very happy, and also um, unplanned on anything. I also began to struggle with my body and my brain not connecting with each other, and suddenly I was in a good thing for church, bad thing for church. Good thing for myself, bad thing for what other people thought. And I found myself for 40 years hiding who I was, knowing that if I came out, that I would be rejected because church are taught when you don't understand it, somebody, you got to reject them. Either judge them or reject them. So for 40 years, I hit it, then I finally come out. Now, don't do the math. Nine years, 40 years, because there was a five or six year period there that I just quit going to church because once I came out, everything I was scared of happened. And then I spent about five years, six years, continuing my relationship with God, but not going to a church. And I found out that I still need to go to church. I still need fellowship. Amen. So that's why I continued and found this place. And I'm glad I did. And I and I. I was invited here and probably took six months before I would come because I didn't want to get rejected and I didn't know how it would happen. So I came, I didn't get rejected. In fact, I was welcomed. I don't really remember talking to anybody here, but smiles, nice food. There was so much here. And then to my surprise, the message was, not to my surprise, the message was good. But the, <laughs> but the message was very good. And All right, you're done. <laughs> he paid me to say that. No. <laughs> but also, then I heard my first service here, I heard him say that there was going to be a trans meeting the next Sunday at church. And I said, wow, I've got to come to that. Yeah. yeah. So what has it meant to your life to have found this church? So for me to found this church, I realized that there still was my connection with God and that there was a group of people who know what rejection's like, know what people think that if, what it's like to be rejected and if you do not conform with everything that we do, you're not welcome. And so for me to, what I enjoyed so much and felt akin to and felt a friendship to was knowing that people were willing to accept me for being me and not having to worry about putting on some something I was not. And I used to be a youth leader at a church and I was also very involved. In fact, I was asked to be a Sunday school teacher at age 23, so I was really involved. But that all ended because of the understanding that I could not conform with today. So I came here because I found love, I found the need, and I found somebody who could talk to my soul and feed me. Praise the Lord. Cool. <laughs> What's your dream for this church? Why do you think God is raising up a church like ours? And my dream would be that everybody that I have felt the rejection that I have, we'd find this church, the pews would be full, we would all have fellowship together. My dream has always been that people without hope, that need hope, 
would find it in church, and that's how I've always felt about church, and I know they can find it here. So my dream for this church is to see a full church enjoying love and friendship and fellowship. In all our diversity, God has called each one of us together into this place for, I believe, a special purpose to be a foretaste of what it will be like in heaven someday when people from all tribes, languages, and nations gather before the throne, worshiping in perfect harmony, Revelation 7-9. I believe the special calling on this church is to be an earthly anticipation, however imperfect, of that heavenly reality that we will encounter someday. And that, I believe, makes this a special church with a special calling. There aren't very many churches like this in the world yet. I believe that we are on the cutting edge of what God's Spirit wants to do in the church universal and in the world today. I believe God's Spirit is restless to call churches back to the radical inclusiveness of the original gospel of Jesus Christ, whosoever will may come. And if you believe that, and if you believe in what God is doing through this church, if you're not yet a regular giver, would you please consider becoming one at any level? And if you are already a regular giver, would you please consider whether you're at a place where you could increase your generosity? Right now, we're running, on average, about $1,000 a week behind budget. And yet, look at the Sunday headlines. We're doing so much. Imagine what we could do at full throttle if we were meeting full budget. There's a, a response form on the very back of your Sunday headlines for those who are participating uh, online. Uh, you can access, uh, or, or for that matter, folks who are here, if you'd rather have an electronic response form, just go to lifejourney.church links and click on the stewardship drive button. There is, for those who are present here, a big blue purple box out at the usher's table and pins there where you can fill out and drop in your response form. So thank you for considering that. Can I say one more thing? You may. So one thing I did not bring up before now was the fact that in all my teachings and all my learnings, I, I found out that Jesus surrounded himself with those who were rejected, who were not wanted, those who were outcast in their community, those were the people that Jesus surrounded himself with. And even on the cross, he looked at one of the thieves and chose one more time to show mercy to somebody. So I say to myself, as I've said before, if God's going to do that for me and I find a place where I can be part of something, would I not be willing to support what I'm doing? Would I not be willing to support the place that loves me? Thank you. Thank you for being part of our church family.
Let's uh, say a prayer, and then we'll turn our attention to today's sermon. God, thank you for calling all of us into this place together, this church that is pulsing with the work of your endlessly creative spirit, seeking to draw all people to yourself, seeking to make whosoever will may come a living reality. May it be so. Strengthen this church. Strengthen each one of us. And now today, speak to us, Lord, from your holy word. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So right now, we're in the midst of a sermon series called New Life in Christ, in which we are grappling with what Jesus meant when he said, you must be born again. Exactly what is the nature of this new life that Jesus is calling us into? When we purchase a new product, we are accustomed to seeing a warning label on that product. Even as Jesus invites us into his new way of living, he also issues a warning. Buyer, beware. For example, Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Think about what a cross was in Jesus' culture. It was the Roman instrument of choice for execution. So what Jesus is saying here is if any of us want to follow him, we have to be prepared to die to our old way of life in order to rise to a whole new way of life. And that new way of life that Jesus is calling us to is not easy. Jesus said, Matthew 7, 13, the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction. And there are many who will take that road. But the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. And there are few who will find that path. If you're looking for an easy life where you can consistently act in a manner that is consistent with your native impulses and instincts. If you're looking for an easy life that's all about you and what you want, the path of Jesus is not for you. Because let me tell you something. Jesus consistently calls his followers to behave in ways that are counter intuitive. I began to learn that early in my life when I was in college and a young follower of Jesus. The Bible college I went to put four students to a dorm room. It was close quarters and, and they would allow you each year to request one of those roommates. The other two were randomly assigned. So as I came near the end of one of my uh, college years, I found myself thinking about the next year and who I should ask to be my roommate of choice the next year. And there were several friends I was thinking about, but that's when I sensed Jesus speaking to me and saying, you should ask so-and-so to be your roommate. So-and-so was a friend of mine who was troubled and struggling and frankly, often really annoying to be around. And when I felt Jesus saying that to my soul, live a whole year with this person in close quarters, 
my first impulse was, no, Jesus, no, anybody but him. But I also knew that this was a test of my discipleship. It's easy to follow Jesus when he's asking us to do what we already want to do. The real test of our discipleship is how do I respond when Jesus asks me to do what I don't want to do? So, reluctantly, I said yes. I asked so-and-so to be my roommate. He accepted. And it wasn't easy. <laughs> but it was the right thing to do. When we decide to follow Jesus, we are stepping into a life where we will often be challenged to do that which is counterintuitive. Joanna was three weeks beyond her wedding when all of a sudden one day she called her pastor frantic pastor she said john and i just had our first really big fight and it was awful what am i going to do calm down her pastor said it it's going to be okay every couple has to have their first really big fight it's normal and you will get through this i know i know that she said but what am i going to do with the body <laughs> do you ever want to kill your spouse or one of your kids or a co-worker but then along comes the Bible and says things like love bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things following Jesus can be a really counterintuitive way to live don't lash out at somebody in anger be kind to the person who cuts you off in traffic give to the person who asks from you, share generously. Don't hate Dallas Cowboys fans. These are hard things to do. By the way, who's cheering for the San Francisco 49ers tonight? Mm -hmm. Who's cheering for the Kansas City Chiefs? Who doesn't care? Oh, my. Who's cheering for Usher? <laughs> and while we're on the subject, are there any Dallas Cowboys fans here today? Rachel, I'm sorry, but I am on a personal mission to drive every Dallas Cowboys fan out of this church. <laughs> Do not bring your heresy in here. I've already driven all the Barry Manilow fans out of the church, <laughs> except one. I'm working on you. I got an autographed picture of Jimmy Johnson. <laughs> I, I hope you know. I'm just kidding. Seriously, though. Seriously. Deciding to follow Jesus, embracing the new way of life that he calls us to, is not easy. He says... It will be hard. So why would anybody in their right mind decide to follow Jesus? Duh, Jeff, you may say. So you don't go to hell when you die. Why do you think I'm here? I hope that's not why you're here. Because fear rarely produces genuine change in us. By the way, Next week, as we conclude this sermon series on New Life in Christ, we will be talking about the afterlife and what 
being, how being born again affects the life to come, including the subject of heaven and hell. And if you're a person who's always said, how could a loving God create a place like hell? Be sure to be here next week because I want to show you some scriptures often neglected that I think can revolutionize your understanding of the life to come. And certainly there are serious implications there. But I hope we choose to follow Jesus, not just for what's going to happen in the life, but for what, for the positive reasons of what happens in this life Amen. when we become a follower of Jesus. So what are the benefits of following Jesus into this hard way of life that he calls us to? The Bible says in Psalm 103 to praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So what is the benefit of embracing this counterintuitive new way of life that Jesus calls us to? The Bible tells us that when we awaken spiritually, when we experience the second birth and place our faith in Jesus, we receive an incredible, amazing, miraculous gift. What is that gift? Acts 2.38. Peter said to a crowd of people, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, in today's gospel reading that you heard Sally reading for us today all the way from Florida, Jesus in that gospel reading was making exactly the same point, but then he goes on to elaborate on that point. John 14, 16, Jesus said, as he spoke to his disciples and was telling them he would soon return to heaven, Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Who is this helper? This is the spirit of truth. Verse 26, the helper, the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, who the Father will send in my name will teach you everything and remind you of all that I, Jesus, have said to you. In verse, in chapter 16, he continues, it is, he says to his followers, to your advantage that I, Jesus, go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Verse 13. And when the spirit of truth comes, the spirit will guide you into all truth. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine, Jesus says, and declare it to you. So here is Jesus saying that it's actually better for us, we who follow him, that he is not physically present here with us today. Talk about counterintuitive. Who among us would not vote to have Jesus physically present on earth today? But Jesus is saying, no, no, actually, it's going to be better for you who believe in me if I return to heaven. Because you see, when Jesus was here, God with us, inhabiting a physical body, he was constrained by the laws of physics and space and time and therefore only able to be in one place at any given point in time so that it became impossible for all of his followers to live with him on a daily basis. But Jesus said, when I return to heaven, I'm going to send you a helper 
the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, being spirit, not matter, is not bound by the confines of space and time and is therefore able to be everywhere all of the time. So that Jesus was God with us in the form of a physical body with the limitations of space-time that that imposed. But the Holy Spirit is God and Jesus with us in spirit form. The Holy Spirit is Jesus distributed. Jesus crowd-sourced. The Holy Spirit is Jesus present with us in spirit form so that we have an advantage that even the 12 apostles did not have. When the 12 apostles were out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee in a storm and Jesus was back on shore on a mountain praying, they were separated from the presence and the power of Jesus. But not now. Now, wherever we go, even on a stormy sea, the presence of the Spirit of Jesus can be right there with you. What a gift. Here's how, here's how we might think about this, an analogy that might help us to think about the Holy Spirit and how this works. You see, I've got this uh, old construction light uh, up here uh, behind me today, and, and this light uh, has the potential to shine, but it can't because it's unplugged. This light is you and me before we've experienced the second birth, before we've awakened spiritually, we have the potential to be a light in this world, but we can't because we're separated from our power source. Before the second birth, it can feel like God is way out there in heaven, distant from us. Or in this analogy, the power source is way over there, a plug in the very corner of the handicap ramp that you can't see, the power source that is needed. I've run an orange extension cord all the way down the handicap ramp and around the palm tree here, and this extension cord represents the Holy Spirit. The, the connectivity, the conduit for God's presence and power in our life. When you get plugged in to the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit gets plugged into you, now suddenly we are connected to our power source, to the presence and the power of God. And now all of the sudden we are able through that connectivity to commune with and communicate with God and Jesus at all times. We are now connected. What do I gain by being connected? What are the benefits of that? In the time we have remaining today, I want to highlight what I consider to be the three most wonderful things about receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. First, 
when the Holy Spirit gets plugged into me or me into the Holy Spirit, I now have access to all the power of heaven. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, you will receive what? Power. When? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is why Jesus was able to say to us, all things are possible for the one who believes. When you find yourself in a situation of great challenge, are you carrying with you an awareness of the power available to you? Are you carrying with you an awareness that the very power of heaven is available to you? And are you consciously tapping into that power? Or when you encounter a really challenging situation, do you find yourself tempted to say, I just can't do this? Or do you allow yourself to hear the spirit inside of you challenging you and to say, declare the words of Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things, how? Through Christ who strengthens me. Get in the habit of saying that all the time. Make that your mantra. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and you will be amazed at the power that you feel surging. You'll be amazed at the things you can do that you thought you could not do. Just ask Ruby Bridges. As we move through this Black History Month, Ruby Bridges is a powerful reminder to us of what it means to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. You probably know her basic story, right? A six-year-old black girl living with her parents in New Orleans in 1960 in the segregated South. Ruby was among six children selected by court order to be the first black children to integrate an all-white school in the South. Everybody knew all hell was going to break loose, that there would be chaos, that there would be mobs of opposition to this. In fact, on the day the integration was to take place of the six children selected to enter that all-white school, only Ruby showed up because it was dangerous, really dangerous. In uh, Disney's 1998 movie about the life of Ruby Bridges, there's a scene in the movie the night before the integration was to take place where her parents are having an argument about, should we go through with this? Dad is saying he's really worried about Ruby and maybe this is too dangerous and maybe we should pull out of this. Mom is saying, if we don't, if we live in fear, nothing will ever change. Later, that same night in another scene, Ruby is being tucked into bed by her mom. Her mom says, honey, you, you know that mama has to work tomorrow and, and daddy couldn't get off work either. Could you be a big girl and go to that school with the four big men? Talking about the four federal marshals that were going to escort them in and out. Ruby's smile turns to a frown. She pauses for a second. She clutches her doll more tightly. Finally, she says, 
okay. Mom says to her, baby, Jesus himself faced a mob. Tomorrow, you're going to face a mob. Jesus said, bless those who persecute you. Jesus said, bless them and do not curse them. Baby, remember tomorrow, Jesus will be with you. The next morning comes. The federal vehicle pulls up in front of the school. The doors open. A tiny little six-year-old girl steps out in between these big old federal marshals. Crowds of Christians are there with signs that say terrible things. And as Ruby starts to walk forward, one of the marshals leans over and whispers to her, remember what I told you. Just keep looking straight ahead at the door. Don't look to the left or to the right. As Ruby is watching, walking through this mob, as Ruby, a, a little sister in Christ to these mobsters, if we grant them the benefit of the doubt, her fellow Christians, they're spitting at her. They're shouting things like, we're going to hang you. God's against the mixing of the races. And the whole time in her mind, she's remembering what her dad said to her the night before. You are daddy's little girl. Daddy loves you. And God loves you. And God will be with you. And God was with her. That little six-year-old girl, through the power of Christ in her, was able to do what no six-year-old girl ought to ever be able to do. That is the power that is available to us. That is an incredible benefit of the gift of the Holy Spirit in our life. Are you tapping into that power? Are you living with a consciousness of that power in your life right now? What is it that you are facing where you are tempted to say, I can't do this. Yes, you can. If you're connected. Well, actually, let me qualify that a bit. It's possible to be connected, but if we are oblivious to the power available to us, it's like we turn it off at the switch. Still connected, but oblivious to the power that can be ours. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Benefit number one. Quickly, benefit number two of life in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit plugged into me means I now will never be alone. Jesus, right before ascending to heaven, said to his followers, followers, remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In our scripture reading today, he said, I will not leave you orphaned. One of the hardest things for me in my life right now is to watch my 91-year-old father, isolated at his house near Sheridan, 
having lost his driver's license a year ago. It's like he's on house arrest. As some of you know, we're building a house. We're going to move in with him in June. It got greatly delayed. The construction, it's underway now. But he's gone a year on house arrest, and, and he's very social, but, but except when I'm able to be up there on Sunday nights and several times during the week to take him to appointments and, and things like that, he's in complete isolation. 24-7, nobody to talk. He, he struggles even to control the phone now because of his sight and his hearing. And there's nobody for him to talk to 98% of the time. But it doesn't have to be that way. If only he had faith. If he had faith, Jesus could be right there with him walking beside him, holding his hand, talking to him, comforting him, giving him hope. It makes me so sad to see him in such needless isolation. I sometimes want to just say, wake up. Wake up your spirit. Talk to Jesus. He could be your best friend. I found that out early in my life when my family moved from Indiana to Colorado Springs, Colorado, when I was in the middle of high school out of Franklin Central where I had friends that I'd known all my whole life and into this huge, three times the size of Franklin Central High School in Colorado Springs. And I know it'll kind of surprise you to hear this, but as a teenager, I was something of an oddball. <laughs> Maybe it was my pocket protector or my slide rule. I, I don't know, but I just didn't fit and I was very shy. And, and on the one hand, I was gay, though I never would have labeled myself that way. I just knew that I was different somehow from all these other boys. And on the, at the same time, I was this devout follower of Jesus, which also was not cool to be in this big secular high school. So at school, I didn't feel like I belonged. And when I went to church, I didn't feel like I belonged because gay people weren't welcome. They weren't welcome in that church back then. And it was, it was like a stranger in a strange land. And at that high school, I would walk out the cafeteria line into that huge cavernous cafeteria. Students grouped around in their friendship circles on all of these tables. And the question is, where would I sit? I didn't want to sit in an empty table so that everybody would look at me and say, oh, look at that freak. Doesn't have any friends. So my strategy was to sit close enough to a group of friends that people would think I was part of that group of friends, but not so close that people in that group would turn and say, what are you sitting here for? Get away from us, you freak. It was painful. I was all alone. But when I'd get home each day, I'd load my dog Yezibo in our family's Volkswagen Beetle, drive 10 minutes to Austin Bluffs, the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, where I could look out and see the entire city of Colorado Springs and the front range of the Rocky Mountains and the sun setting over the Rocky Mountains, orange, yellow, and red. I've seen it rain and fire in the sky. It was magnificent. And on those wilderness trails, as Yezibo would chase jackrabbits, I would be walking with Jesus and talking to Jesus and singing to Jesus and pouring out my troubles to Jesus and hearing him speak back to me. And Jesus became my best 
friend. We would sit on the cliffs and watch the city lights come on and the sun set over the Rocky Mountains. And let me tell you something, I was not alone. The very Son of God himself was there with me in a palpable presence. None of us ever has to be alone. If someday, God forbid, all of my family predeceases me and leaves me behind and I end up in some God-forsaken nursing home where nobody knows who I am and maybe I won't even know who I am. Still, I will not be alone because my best friend will still be there Amen. walking side by side, holding my hand, comforting me, telling me who I am and that we're going to get through this together. Oh, what a gift. Finally, number three, final benefit that I'm going to highlight today. The Holy Spirit plugged into me means I have access to supernatural guidance in my life. Wisdom for living. John 10, 14, 28. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. Now catch this phrase. My sheep hear my voice. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's going to talk to you. If you're listening, he will pour wisdom and insight into your life. Are you tuned in? This is what the Bible means when it says pray without ceasing. It doesn't mean stay on your knees, hands folded, 24-7, telling God what you want and what to do. It means living in a way that our heart is tuned and listening to the voice of Christ through the Holy Spirit speaking wisdom into our life. Let me close with an example, a, a case in point. A, a writing in a, a blog article called Soul Nudges and uh, Heavenly uh, uh, Twinges, a, uh, a writer named uh, Heather Burke Cody tells about a time she was in a thrift store standing six deep in a line waiting to check out and she says the clerk that was checking people out was the angriest surliest clerk I have ever encountered in my life and with each customer the, the clerk was getting more and more frustrated and angry so that by the time Heather gets to the front of the line and is being checked out she says uh, Heather says, the cashier was especially incensed when one of my unmarked items needed a price check. Then after that was completed, the clerk continued ringing up my items. And as she did so, I felt a nudge in my soul prompting me to take that little extra bit of cash from the back of my wallet and give it to her. I tried to bargain with Jesus and told him that that extra money wasn't meant for someone like her. It should go to someone sweeter, kinder, more deserving, or at least appreciative. Not someone downright mean and angry. But God didn't budge. So when the clerk handed Heather her receipt, Heather reached out and handed the money from the back of her wallet to the clerk. She says the clerk was taken aback. As the clerk held the money with one hand, she pulled down her COVID mask with her other hand. The angry voice was gone and instead, the clerk whispered to Heather, why? Heather said, oh, I don't know. I just felt God nudging my soul. The clerk reached out, Heather says, and clutched her hand and held it. 
And the clerk said to her, today's my 75th birthday. Ain't nobody called me. Not my sister, none of my kids, none of these people that work with me here. Nobody, nothing. I don't think I can ever remember being so sad. Ain't nobody even remembers it's my birthday. Except you. Somehow you knew. Thank you. Divine wisdom. Oh, the incredible things that God can do through us when we are plugged in to the Holy Spirit. Following Jesus can be hard. It's not easy. It can be downright counterintuitive, but it is a beautiful, purposeful, meaningful way to live. Are you tuned in? Are you tapping into that power? Have you said, Jesus, come into my heart in a conscious, intentional way? And are you living with an awareness, listening to the Holy Spirit, acting on the Holy Spirit? That's what new life in Christ looks like. God with us. Jesus distributed through the Holy Spirit. If you're at a place on your journey where you say, I'm ready to awaken my soul and invite Jesus in, or I did that and got plugged in a long time ago, but I've flipped the switch and I've been asleep at the wheel. I need to renew my focus. After this service, a pastor and a deacon will be at the front to pray with you, or you can go to lifejourney.church/links, click on the response form, and check off, I'm making a decision to follow Jesus, or I have spiritual questions. I need to talk to somebody, and we'll be in touch with you. Get plugged in. Awaken. Live in the fullness of life that God intends. Amen. Amen.